Young adults, what's going on, guys? You good? Guys, I don't think it's going to snow again this year. And that makes me so freaking happy. Like, it is amazing outside. It is summertime at YA, and I'm telling you, there is not a better time to be here than summer. We're going to be throwing some fun things at you. We've even got a celebrity in the crowd tonight. They didn't want me to shout them down. We have the minister of beef and cheese herself. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Y intern, Emily Schmalz, is in the building. Emily was one of the most amazing interns we ever had, and she actually just got engaged. So sorry, fellas. And she's got like a seven, eight carat ring on her finger, so good for her, Emily. You're awesome. So No, but guys, uh, you can take a seat, by the way. You don't have to stand for my entire message. If you want to awesome, but I timed it. We're at 72 minutes, um, so you'll be standing for a while. I'm kidding. Anybody first time here? I know we had some hands raised earlier. First time. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us. Um, Tonight, I'm going to be honest, all about Jesus. We're going to make it about Jesus. I know that Um, There's probably a lot of different views, different thoughts on who Jesus is, what he said, and what he came to do. Um, But I personally think Jesus um, is the most amazing person to ever walk the face of the earth. And I take it even a step further. I think Jesus is more than a person. I think he was God. Um, And I think he's the most loving, kind, gentle, passionate, amazing person you would ever want to meet. And so our only goal tonight is to sort of set a table in hopes that you would meet him um, and that he would change your life forever. And so we're kicking off summer, and the whole theme throughout this entire summer is we are just going to take different Bible characters, different stories in the Bible, and we're just going to talk about them. We're going to look at major characters that make up God's redemptive story in the Bible, and we're just going to talk about them all summer. And I'm aware that there are a lot of people in this room that might not be familiar with the Bible, or maybe you have a lot of baggage when it comes to certain things in the Bible, and that's okay. Maybe you see the Bible as a book of rules or regulations, or maybe it's this confusing story with all of these ancient, like, I don't know, like rituals and holidays, and every time you open it, it just seems like people are talking about slaughtering goats and like all this stuff and you're like this book isn't for me and listen that's okay my hope is that over this summer as we engage with these major characters and themes throughout the bible that it would re-grip your heart and maybe if you haven't engaged with your word your bible in a while maybe some of these stories would connect with you and inspire you and kind of cause you to re-engage with the Word of God because I honestly believe that the Bible is this unified book made up of all these different stories that point us to Jesus. And what's amazing is when you get to know Jesus, you just become transformed as a person. When you encounter Jesus, it's just impossible to literally leave the same as when before you encountered him. You either love him and think he's amazing, or maybe he like uh, rubs you the wrong way and like catches you the wrong way and you're frustrated or confused by him. But when you encounter Jesus, he transforms you in some way. And so when we read these stories and look at these characters, 
I believe they're gonna point us and lead us to Jesus. And when they do, we actually discover more about who we are in the light of Jesus. And so our only goal for this summer is gonna be to open our Bible and read its stories and fall more in love with Jesus. And so with that being said, we're gonna jump right in. We're going to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 22. And buckle up, because I'm gonna be reading for a minute, but it's good. This will make up for some of y'all's missed Bible reading plans. Anybody a little bit behind starting in January? I've never missed a day ever since I've become a Christian, so I don't know what that's like. (laughs) Definitely kidding there. All right, Genesis 22, here we go. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Earlier the next morning, Abraham got up, apparently that was like totally cool with him, and uh, loaded his donkey. He took two of his servants and his son Isaac, and when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Interesting. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said a very, uh, probably obvious question to his dad. Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Surprise, Abraham said. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together, and when they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac, like think about it, this is insane, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took a knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord, which is often a reference for an incarnate Jesus in the Old Testament, or or a Jesus showing in the Old Testament, called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by by his horns. And he went over and he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place The Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, and I love this, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Tonight, we're going to kind of flesh out the story of Abraham and Isaac and how it points us to who God is and reveals to us Jesus. So let's pray and we're going to dive in. Father God, we love you so much. What an honor it is to come into your presence and just spend a couple moments Uh, going over your word and going over these stories. And God, I know that already in this story, there are some things that probably we're wrestling with in our mind. How could you ask somebody to do that? Like that, that, that sounds so hard. That sounds so weird. But God, I pray right now that you would reveal to us your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Because all of this is about you. And when we fix our eyes on you, Jesus, we see you for who you are. We are free. And we know you and we're changed. And that's what we want tonight is we want to be changed into your image. 
Jesus, we love you so much. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. How many people in this room, by a show of hands, you have had a promise given to you that has fallen through? Yeah, somebody promised you something and it's fallen through. Even worse, how many people in this room have had something promised to them, given to them, and then taken away after you received it? Anybody? All right, we got some people in here. We got some people. Um, my, my wife's love language is touch, okay? And I'm going somewhere with this. <laughs> You're like, what does that have anything to do with promises? You'll see. Um, my wife's love language is touch, and uh, do not get her flowers. She doesn't care about them at all. She, she does kind of, but not really. Um, she doesn't care about compliments. Uh, she, I am like a verbal affirmation person, and that is the lowest on hers. It's actually like quite an interesting marriage. My lowest is touch. Like I actually hate being touched. Um, it drives me insane, and my wife like loves being touched, and I love compliments, and she never thinks about giving me compliments. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I went to youth one time, no lie, and they were like, Connor's so hot, and I, it just like, it just like did something to my soul. I was like, can you do that again so I can just like wake up every morning and listen to it? Like, I need you guys in my life. <laughs> but for real, you could be a complete and total stranger. It doesn't matter. My wife would take a massage from you. That's weird, but it is totally true. Now, many of you know, if you've been coming for a while, um, Aaron and I, when we were dating and we were engaged, we were po. Not poor, po, because we couldn't afford the R. <laughs> Cheesy poor joke right there. But if you're here a couple weeks ago, I told you legit, we were so poor, we, we were staying in these people's basements and they never ran their AC. And so we literally would go to King Supers and buy peas um, and carrots and freeze them and then put them in our bed during the summer because we were so freaking hot and uh, we didn't have air conditioning. So that's how poor, that, that's, that's the level of poorness that we're working with right here. Okay, frozen vegetable in the bed, poor. And so, <laughs> some of you are like, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Um, but so when Christmas and birthdays and different things like that came around, you had to get creative, right? Now, I, would, I work, was working a couple jobs. I would save up and get her a couple gifts. But you had to be creative. And one year, I just thought, like, hey, wouldn't it be cute to make her, like, one of those coupons that you, like, made your kid, or as a kid, you made your parents? Like, here's a coupon to, for me to mow the lawn, right? Or here's a coupon. It's basically what you do when you're broke. Like, Here's a coupon for me to wash the dishes, and here's a coupon for me to, I don't know, do whatever. And so I was like, hey, wouldn't it be cute to sort of tally up the amount of days until she turns 100? I don't know why. I just was like, calculated that out. And give her a coupon for one massage a day. And I want to clarify, because I'm getting like blank looks. I want to clarify. To my wife, a massage is just a massage, Okay. For all you perverts out there. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. To my wife, a massage is legit just a massage. Like, it is not an invitation to get fresh. It is literally like, rub my shoulders, rub my neck, work out the knots. Thank you. We're done. I'll talk to you later. Okay? Like, my wife literally just wants a true blue massage. And so I calculated the how many days until she turned 100 Gave her a coupon for the, for the massage, and I was like, that's awesome. Like, that's cute, right? The only problem was my wife actually believed that it was like a real thing. 
Like I gave this to her as kind of like a ha 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 ha, like, you know, like I rub your shoulders and your hands every once in a while, like it's cute, I know you like it, but like here, just because I'm poor, like take this coupon and never redeem it, right? Like, but it was like a real thing to her. And legit, I'm not even kidding. Like as we were dating and engaged, she would literally be like, hey, can you rub my shoulders? And I'm like, I, I literally just worked like all day. Like are you came, she's like, you gave me that coupon though. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? How old are you? Five? Like, or seriously, I would like come back from, I used to be a personal trainer back in the day and I would like work from like five in the morning till 10 and then work from like three in the afternoon until 10. And so I had these weird hours and I would like go see her. She was on my drive back home and I would like, she'd be like, hey, can you like rub my hands? I'm like, I'm so tired. And she's like, yeah, but you gave me that coupon. Here's the coupon. You want to see it? And I was like, frick, man, I'm stuck. Like, what do I do? How, how do I figure this thing out? And my only way out was this. I wrote the coupon out to Aaron Sandoval. And on July 1st, 2016, Aaron Sandoval became Aaron Grimm, making the coupon null and void. Sorry, but that's just how the legal system works, I think. On a coupon. No, but no lie, I'm not even kidding. We still fight over the technicalities of this stupid coupon today. So, fellas, never give that coupon, I promise. But have you ever had something promised to you that, you know, was like gone back on or like taken away after you received it? I want to go back and I want to look at our story that we read earlier um, and kind of give some context to the situation that we read. Abraham is ascending a mountain called Moriah to sacrifice his promised son Isaac to God. And if that sounds very strange and barbaric to you, that's because it should. That is terrible, and that should never happen. But he, he's, he's called by God to go and sacrifice his promised son. And I promise that part will make sense here in a little bit. But before Abraham was Abraham, his name was actually Abram. He was a man living in Babylon, and anytime you hear a reference to Babylon in the Bible, Babylon is a very, very bad place. Think like Vegas on steroids. Like, Babylon is like this, this dark, like, decrepit city where, like, people just love to do terrible things. He was living in Babylon, and he was married to his wife named Sarai. Not Sarah, Sarai. And when we meet Abram, God is calling him to leave his family and go to a place that God would eventually show him. How many people like clear directions in here, right? And God blesses Abram, and he says this in Genesis chapter 12. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the people on earth earth will be blessed through you. Now that last part of the blessing is very important because God is telling Abram in this moment, not only am I going to bless you, no, I'm going to make a nation out of you that I am going to use to reach the rest of the world, black, white, uh, every different language, every different race, every different ethnicity. Like, I am going to use you and your family to reach the entire world. But there's one giant problem in the way. Up to this point in their life, Abram and Sarai have never been able to have a child. 
and, and they're getting old. Like they are approaching on old, old, like Bible old. Like Abram is like creeping up on a, on a hundred, like triple digits. He's starting to look like Zach. He's like bleaching his hair, uh, you know, having like a, what, like century life crisis. Like they're getting old. And here's what happens. They receive the promise, but instead of waiting for God to come through and fulfill the promise, they get anxious by how long it's taking God. And so they decide to take the promise God made them and make it happen on their own time. Man, does anybody relate to that in here? Anybody ever feel like God's given you a promise and it just seems like it's taking so long for it to come to pass? You feel like God told you to move out to this city and he's got a job waiting for you and friends waiting for you, but it's not just like happening. And so you're going to kick down some doors and you're going to make it happen on your own. How many people feel like God's got, he's told you that he's got somebody set apart for you, somebody for you to fall in love with and have a family with, but it's not just happening. And so you kind of download Tinder. I don't even know if that's still a thing. And you're like swiping right and swiping left and you're, you ever feel like God's made you a promise, but God's taking so long to get you that promise that, man, you just got to take a situation into your own hands. How has that ever worked for anybody in the world? Not well at all. Thank you. And judging by Abram's story, it's going to go really south, okay? So Sarai, Abram's wife, tells him to go sleep with a maidservant they had named Hagar. Now, fellas... I've been married for five years. I'm going to give you some really solid marriage advice. I don't care how passionately strong your wife wants you to sleep with another woman, which is just weird. But I promise you, do not do that. Because nothing good comes from that situation. Like, Abram is 100 years old, roughly, and he's going like the first baby mama situation that we kind of see in the Bible, and... His wife was behind it, but then that turns south because she gets jealous, obviously. And there's like the Maury show taking place in ancient. Is Maury still alive? Is he like? <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's amazing. But Abram is like, yeah, babe, sure, totally. If this is really what you want me to do, I mean, just trying to be a loving husband. And so. Abram goes and he sleeps with their servant, Hagar. And she gets pregnant and has a son named Ishmael. So Abraham has a son. He has done it. He has seen the promise of God that he's going to have a son and have this nation. And God's going to bless him through it. And God wasn't really tracking with Abraham's timeline because Abraham's getting older. Abram's getting older. And so he sleeps with his wife's servant and they have a kid. And boom, he has everything he needs to see the promise fulfilled. He has forced God's promise to come to pass in his life. Except. This wasn't the son that God had promised him. This was the son of Abram's impatience with God's timing. And so eventually, God revisits Abram, and he makes a covenant with him, an unbreakable pact where he swears on himself to bless Abram, and he revisits him and makes this covenant, and he actually makes him change his name to Abraham. 
and he, and he changes his wife's name to Sarah. And the reason he's doing that is because Abraham literally means father of many nations. He is reinforcing Abraham's promise and trust in God, saying, listen, I am so committed to seeing this promise that I made you fulfilled in your life. I literally want you to start referencing yourself as a father of many nations, as a 100-year-old barren man that cannot have kids. And so Abraham and Sarah changed their names to, to kind of affirm God's promise and their life. And God comes to him and he's like, bro, this time next year, you are going to have a son. And Abraham and Sarah are so old that it literally says they start to laugh. And God's like, why are you laughing? And Sarah's even like, is this even going to be enjoyable? Like, how are we going to do this? That's literally in the Bible. She asked God that question. He doesn't answer, so I have no idea. But, but like, they laugh because they're 190. And they're going to have a kid? Like, gross, weird. Like, how, is that, like, okay? But a year comes to pass, and Sarah gives birth to a son named Isaac, which actually means laughter. They named him after this moment <laughs> that they had with God. They give birth to a son named Isaac, the promised son from God, the son who would make Abraham the father of many nations. And at this moment in his life, Abraham is living in the reality of the promise of God, not a promise that he had to force God to do. He's living in the promise of God on God's timeline until one day when God calls out to Abraham again. We find ourselves back in our story in Genesis chapter 22. It says this, it says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God told him about. Now this, this is insane, right? Like God's whole thing with Abram and Abraham is that he is going to give him a son that is going to produce nations. He is going to give him a son that is going to bless every nation under the earth. And he comes through on that promise. God actually follows through and gives Abraham a son named Isaac. And the promise has been fulfilled. Abraham is living in that blessing that God has given him. And in this moment, God is not only asking him to, like, I don't know, dedicate or consecrate or set him apart. Like, he's asking him to give back the promise in the form of sacrificing his son. That sounds horrible. And for us, when we hear this uh, idea of, of, of child sacrifice, it's appalling, and it, and it should be. But unfortunately, back in the days of Abraham, child sacrifice was a very common thing. 
these people would, would create these gods, these false gods in the region of Canaan where, where Abraham was living, and they would pray to these gods to be blessed, to be fruitful, to have kids or to bless their harvest or, I, I, I don't know, to like become rich. And what would happen is if they would get pregnant or if they would have a good harvest, they would believe that a god had blessed them. And what they would do, what was a custom, was to take your firstborn child and sacrifice it to this God as a thank you, as an appeasement, as a repayment for their blessing. You would be required to give back to the God what was so precious and promised to you to prove your loyalty and devotion. And so when we hear this today, it's horrific, and it should be. But when Abraham would have heard this, he would have thought, oh, you're one of those gods. Okay. You're, you're, you're one of those gods that will give me what I ask for as long as I give it back to you. And you'll give me a promise and you'll fulfill it, but you'll snatch it right out of my hands. You're one of those gods. Okay. I mean, you've blessed me. Abraham was a rich man. God made him rich. He blessed me. He gave me a kid. I, I don't know how this is going to work, but if this is what you require, then this is what I'll do. You're, you're one of those gods. I don't know why. I just thought you were different. I thought you were different. And I'm sure with a pit in his stomach and tears in his eyes, he takes the hand of his promised son Isaac and some servants and he heads back up the mountain. And Dan, you guys can start to make your way on up. But here's the thing. This isn't Abraham's first encounter with God. This isn't Abraham's first encounter. And as they walk up the mountain to the place of sacrifice, Abraham must start to have this like moment of remembrance of the faithfulness of God replayed out through his life. He remembers when God first called him and his family and the first time he heard God's voice speak to him about leaving the city that he grew up in and moving to a place that God promised to bless him in. I imagine him holding his son Isaac's hand and walking up the mountain and remembering the moment when God called him out of his tent in a time where I'm sure his faith and his belief that God could perform a miracle was low. And he said, Abraham, lift your eyes and look to the stars. And I want you to try to count all the stars in the sky. He said, Abraham, I promise I'm going to give you a son and I'm going to bless you. And you are going to have children that outnumber the stars that you see. You couldn't even count them. They were going to be like grains on the, the sand on the seashore. I imagine him holding his son's hand with tears in his eyes, walking up a rocky mountain and and just thinking about the time where he, he was 100 and God visited him and said, you're going to have a baby. And he's like, what? That's impossible. No way. And I imagine him sitting in his tent looking at his wife as her belly grew bigger and bigger. And he's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. God's coming through on what he told us he would do. Abraham, as he's walking up this mountain, had to be thinking of these moments of faithfulness that he encountered with God because he has this moment, this random moment of faith rise up in his soul. And he looks at the people that came with him and he says this. He says, wait here 
Because the boy and I are going to go and worship. But the boy and I are going to return. And Hebrews 11 gives us a little picture into the mind of Abraham in this moment. It says this, it says, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So Abraham is approaching this place where he's going to offer up his son with faith for a resurrection. He has faith that when he offers this sacrifice, man, God must be planning to bring him back somehow because this is the promise, right? This was my promise. And as a dad, I can't even imagine. It says he, he takes the wood and bundles it and ties up his son. And what's so crazy is Isaac would be accustomed to this. Isaac would know this is like happening. He would know this is a thing. And so it doesn't say like he ran or he resisted. Like, he's like, okay, dad, I guess. If this is what this God who has blessed you wants, then do it. And this old man who has seen his son grow in his old age starts binding him up and he makes this altar. And he lays this wood on his son. And he takes a knife and lifts his hand. And the voice of God calls and says, Abraham. Oh, Abraham. I'm not like any of these other gods. Oh, Abraham. Abraham, I will provide for you again. Like I have many times. For Abraham, I am the God who not only makes, but keeps his promises the same yesterday, today, and forever. Abraham, I am the God that requires faith. Abraham, I'm the God that requires faith, not sacrifice. I require mercy, not sacrifice, because I will provide a sacrifice for you. And in a bush, on the side of a mountain, God provided a ram for a sacrifice. And Abraham called this place Jehovah-Jireh. My God will provide. And I love this. It says, and to this day, it said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. What's crazy is, God called Abraham to this mountain called Moriah, an ancient name for what is now referred to as the region of Jerusalem. And it was on that same set of mountains over a thousand years later that another sacrifice would be offered. Another son would be led up by his father to the same mountain. But this time it wouldn't be humanity offering a sacrifice to God. It would be God offering a sacrifice himself to humanity on that same mountain range where Abraham offered up his only son, God would offer up himself 
for you and for me. What I love about this story is that Hebrews tells us that as Abraham is leaving his son Isaac to be sacrificed, it said that he believed God so much. He knew the faithfulness of God was so real. He knew the goodness of God was so tangible that if he actually had to sacrifice his son, the promise that God gave him, he believed that somehow, some way, God would provide a resurrection of his son to fulfill the promise. What I love about this is Abraham's faith wasn't wrong. His faith for a resurrection wasn't wrong. It was just about a thousand years too early. Because on that same hill, a thousand years later, humanity would hold its breath with resurrection faith as the Son of God was led on a hill, hung on a cross, and sacrificed so that every single one of us could know and receive Him fully as we are. That we could be loved and accepted. That not Abraham, but God would give His one and only Son that whosoever would approach could come. So that we can stand and say, I have a Jehovah Jireh. That on the mountain of the Lord, God has provided for me. And he is faithful. And he is true. And he is good. Would you stand with me as we close? Young adults, I don't know who in here needs this, but I believe that there are some of you that have come in here tonight. And you feel like there are promises that God has put on your heart and they are unfulfilled. And the temptation is to hurry up God's process. It's to hurry up like God's timeline in your life. And you, and you want to rush things forward. It's to, it's, it's to take the promises, the good promises that God made you and make them happen on your own timeline. Can I remind you that God is faithful and that he sees you. And I promise you that there is nothing that you could want more than God to fulfill His promise on His timeline. Man, with every head bowed and every eye closed, could I just throw this question out there? If you are in here tonight and you feel like you are wrestling in your heart with a promise that God has made you, would you lift your hand? Hands everywhere. Hands everywhere. Man, I pray that as tonight, as we begin to sing, would you call out to your Jehovah Jireh? The God who will provide everything you need, when you need it, how you need it, on His perfect timing. And for some people in here, I never want to like close a message without like offering this up. Man, for some of you, you don't know this Jesus. You don't know this Jesus, this entire story of Abraham. God was setting up almost like a play, these, these elements to show thousands of years ago what he was going to do to provide a way for humanity to know him and escape their sin. And some of you in here tonight, you came in here and you're like, I don't know why I'm at a church service. I don't know why I walked in this building, but I need something that I don't currently have in my life. And can I tell you, that it is that man that was crucified on that same hill that Abraham almost offered up his son. It's Jesus. And he loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. He cares about you. And I promise you, all you have to do is open up your heart to him and he comes in and transforms you. And so tonight, if you want to encounter Jesus, maybe for the first time, would you lift your hand and I'm going to pray for you. 
lift your hand. Can we pray? And we're going to go back into a moment of worship. Father God, what an honor it is to love you and to worship you. God, I pray right now for anybody under the sound of my voice where you have given them a promise and it feels like the promise is taking forever to come to pass. Or maybe, God, you gave them a promise and it feels like you're asking for it back. God, can we be reminded that you are the promise keeper. You are not the promise maker. You are the promise keeper and that you are faithful and that you are true. And when you make a promise, you will provide. Would you encourage hearts in here tonight? And God, for everybody that raised their hands to have an encounter with you, Holy Spirit, would you come and knock on the door of their heart? And if that was you that raised your hand, would you just say, Jesus, I want to meet you. Jesus, would you speak to me? And I promise the God of the universe is going to come and have a conversation with you. And all you have to do is talk to him and invite him in. And you will be transformed into a person that you couldn't even imagine. Jesus, we love you so much. It's in your precious and holy name we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. Yamadolis, let's worship.